We'll continue reading from the Gospel of Luke. And as they led him away, they seized one, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country and laid him on the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed a great multitude of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But Jesus said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and the hills cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who are criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. It was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear, God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And if we indeed uh, justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today I will, you will be with me in paradise. It was now the sixth hour. And there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last breath. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for the spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed with him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word this night. Uh, we thank you for the words of the passion of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray now that as we dive for a few minutes into this text, would you minister to each of us, wherever we're at, that we would see this evening the wonder of the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. This evening, as we look at the passion narrative that we just read for just a moment, I, I really want to focus on just those last couple of verses, those last three hours for 
a moment. It's amazing what happens as, as we look at the text. We, we see right at the beginning there in verse 44 what happens, but the heavens begin to give commentary on what's going on, right? Darkness envelops the whole land as God is giving his commentary, if you will, on what is going on as his son is on the cross. And if that's not enough, we read that the curtain rips in two as another means of commentary, a commentary that is, is saying never will there be a need for the temple again. The, the one to whom all the stuff at that temple point is now here, and he's on the cross, the ultimate sacrifice, the, all those sacrifices at the temple, they all come to reality in this one sacrifice, Jesus Christ, who is now hanging from the cross. So as we read the passage, we see heaven given this incredible commentary as the Son of God hangs there. And if you are paying close attention as Peter and I, as we read through Luke chapter 23, you may have noticed that there is a theme that Luke has that, that kind of runs through chapter 23. And we see that theme come to fruition in verse 47. What does the centurion say after, after Jesus has breathed his last breath? He praises God and he says, certainly this man was innocent. As you read through chapter 23, that's not the only time you read something of that. We see it actually over and over again. Pilate, on, on three occasions, says, I can find no guilt in this man. Herod returns Jesus back to Pilate because why? We read because he could find no guilt in Jesus. What does the criminal on, on the one criminal say of Jesus? But he has done nothing wrong. You see, we see this recurring theme. The recurring theme that Jesus, this one hanging from the cross, is innocent. He's guiltless. There is no fault found in him. And we see it over and over in our, our text, and I, I believe that's what, part of what Luke wants us to see as you read through this, that it's the innocent one who is being slain. We read of this in other parts of Scripture. Peter, in that first sermon on Pentecost, what does he say in verse 14, chapter 3 of Acts? But you denied the holy and the righteous one. What is he saying? You, you, you denied the innocent one, the guiltless one, the blameless one. You asked for a murderer to be granted to you. You killed the author of life who God raised from the dead. And to this, we are witnesses. What is Peter saying? You killed the holy, the righteous one, the, the one in whom there is no sin found. It's the innocent one that Paul in Galatians tells us is the one who became cursed for us. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming what? He became a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. You see, as Jesus is there on the cross, he is the innocent one. The innocent one who is being slain, the innocent one who is taking on the curse that is sin and death and taking it upon himself, the innocent one is slain. 
Now, as we think about the innocent one being slain upon the cross, we can begin to think that this is just something that is totally passively being done to him and that Jesus has no active role in what's going on around him. But as we see in verse 46, there is more going on, I think, than that. What does Jesus say? Verse 46, then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last breath. The King James, I think, is helpful here. It puts it slightly different of of that breathing his last breath. The King James reads, he gave up the ghost. He gave up his spirit. You see, even after the immense torture that Jesus suffered on that day, after the whippings, the, the, the beatings, being spat upon, being mocked, being crucified, crown of thorns, nails piercing him, even after all of that, don't miss it. It is Jesus who determines the moment determines the moment that he's going to breathe his last breath, that he's going to give up the spirit, that he's going to give up the ghost. As Jesus said in John 10, no one, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down, meaning his life. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from the Father. You see, he's the one who's given up his life actively, given it up as a ransom for many. He's in control until that very last moment with those very last words. And and to that very last moment, what do we see him doing but totally, completely submitting himself to the Father, following the will of his Father, trusting in the work of Holy Spirit in him as he hangs from the cross to that very last moment where he breathes his last breath. Now, we're reminded, as, as we've talked about, we're reminded of, of, of this innocent one who's slain. This innocent one who, who gives his, his life, but who gives it deliberately. Who deliberately lays down his life for his people. As we think about that, I think there's something important that we need to understand as we're gathered here tonight for Good Friday. Now, Peter and I were kind of chuckling about this before the service where I, I made a, a point to him that this, you know, we, we seem to come to, to Good Friday service as though it's a funeral. We come mourning and it's somber and there's an appropriateness to the somberness of it because our Lord died for us and there's solemnity to that and we wear black, Right? But at the same time, I think sometimes on Good Friday we can gather and and maybe even be sad for all the wrong reasons. Please don't leave here today. Do not leave here tonight just sad for what Jesus experienced. Don't leave here just thinking it's tragic that a man went through what Jesus did. 
Don't leave here just thinking how tragic it was what we read in, in Luke 23 and what we read in the other Gospels. As, as terrible that is, as, as terrible as the beatings were for him, as terrible as the pain of the crucifixion was for him, don't leave here just thinking it's tragic. And, and tragic that it's an innocent one that was condemned. You know, we read, and we, maybe you've seen a lot, television shows and, and documentaries and maybe even podcasts of, of, of all these people who are convicted of crimes and spend years in prison but are innocent. And we hear that, and rightfully we're sad, and rightfully we're like, this is terrible that this person had to experience this. Understand that Jesus' death is in a whole different category. He willingly takes on the punishment. The punishment so that you and I will never have to. You see, we don't gather here tonight, I don't believe, to grieve Jesus' death. And I, I, and I fear sometimes that's how we approach this day. We approve it as this, this day of grieving his death. Jesus does not need our mourning. What does he say to those who are mourning in verse, 20, in verse 28? He says, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves. You see, Jesus' focus, even there, even as he's got a crash on his back, even as he's on his way to be crucified after already having been beaten so bad, his concern is not on his himself. His concern is on all those around him. Isn't it amazing? Now, there's much that we could say going into those words. Those, those are complicated words, and, and there's much prophecy in there that we won't go into tonight. But don't miss it. Jesus did not die so that you and I would weep for him. But so that you and I might weep for our sins. Weep for the destruction that sin and death has on this world. And ultimately so, that we wouldn't just weep. But so that we would turn to him. Knowing, believing, and trusting in the innocent one that was slain for us. The innocent one was slain so that the guilty ones could be declared innocent. Do you know as you're, we're gathered here tonight, do you know that we, me included, we are the guilty ones? The ones who, who rightly should suffer punishment for our sins. Rightly should be punished. Rightly should re receive the, the penalty of death. But at the cross, Something breathtaking happens. Something incredibly breathtaking happens. We read about it in 2 Corinthians. Paul says this, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might receive the righteousness of God. Do you understand how incredible that is? Do you understand how incredible it is that, that he who... who who knew no sin, took upon our sin upon himself, took the punishment of our sin upon himself so that we could be treated as though we were righteous, so that we could be treated just as he is rightfully treated. In our story, at the, the very end here, we, we see three different groups of people responding to all that's going on. The centurion, the, the one who had been overseeing this crucifixion. No doubt had overseen many crucifixions. 
Something was different about this one. What does the centurion proclaim? Certainly this man was innocent. Certainly this man was innocent. He, 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 he recognized something important was going on here. Now, now, did the centurion truly believe? Is he maybe just sorrowful at the moment that another innocent one has been condemned? That this Jesus didn't do anything to deserve this. I mean, he wasn't that bad, you know. Is that maybe what the centurion was thinking? We, we don't exactly know. But he recognizes there's something wrong here. This man did not deserve this punishment. So we see the centurion and we see the crowds. What do the crowds do? They see everything that takes place. And they go home doing what? Just beating their breasts. They go home sad. They go home sad at what they've seen. Maybe some of their lives were transformed. We don't know. We're not told. And then we see a third group of people. We read that also there were his acquaintances and the women who stood at a distance watching these things. These would have been Jesus' relatives, his friends, and likely many of his disciples were there watching on and seeing this death. And, And watching this death, these are the ones who at that moment, they didn't know how to compute what was taking place in them. They'd put such great hope in this Jesus, right? And now all their hopes that they had packed into Jesus were being demolished because the one that they had hoped in was now dead upon the cross. But the wonder is, of course, that many of those acquaintances and women would what? Would believe. Would come to know and trust in Jesus Christ and come to know that when he died, when he breathed his last breath, he was doing that for them that he gave his life for theirs. And many of them, no doubt, went on to even give up their very own life because they believed it was true. They saw Jesus crucified. They saw him, as we'll talk about Sunday, of course, raised from the dead, and they knew what business transacted at the cross. That at the cross... The one who was spotless, without blemish, was given for them. As I was reflecting on that, I was thinking, likely, we we don't know exactly which disciples may have been there and watched, but it would seem likely that Peter was probably there from afar, watching. And what do we, of course, read from Peter? in his reflections upon what takes place, but we read this in 1 Peter 2. He himself, Jesus Christ, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we are healed. Peter so believed that truth, so believed what transacted at the cross that he ends up going to his own death because of his belief in it. Now, as we reflect on this tonight, 
What do we make of the cross? What do we make of this Good Friday? Are we just here? Is it, is it, are we just sorrowful tonight over this great tragedy? If so, you're like many in the world today that are just sad that such a great teacher had to die such a painful death, that it was suffered such in a horrific way. But might I encourage you to believe that maybe all this we're talking about tonight could really be true. Because, or maybe are you one who believes who, who don't just look at the cross and, and say, see what an innocent one who was slain, but who believe that that innocent one was slain for you. Do you tonight know and truly believe that Jesus' death was your death? That he died for you, taking your sin, your rightful punishment, for that sin upon himself, taking the, the, our guilt and dumping it upon him, do you tonight, as we're gathered here, I encourage you, don't just mourn Jesus' death, but believe. Believe and even in some way celebrate this night. Even celebrate. Paul puts it this way in Galatians 6. What does he say? But far be it from me to boast. Far, for, far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. It's, he, he's saying it's through Jesus Christ and him crucified that I am saved and rescued, that my, my, my guilt has been taken because the innocent one was slain for me. Do you tonight, as we're gathered here, are you just sad that Jesus died? Or do you understand that when he died, he died for you. Let's pray. Father, we sang a moment ago of the wonderful cross. Oh, the wonderful cross. We thank you for the wonder of the cross. We thank you for the wonder of what you accomplished on the cross. We thank you that you willingly laid down your life so that we could have life. So that we could have forgiveness of our sins. So that we could be washed clean. We come tonight and we thank you for the wonder of the cross. We thank you for all that you accomplished there for us. We thank you that there 
not only that there we find life, that it's there at the cross that we find eternal life with you. Would you help us to believe this night in the wonder of the blessed cross? We pray this all in the matchless name, the matchless name of the one who came and who died to give us life. Jesus Christ, amen.